At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen A. to talk about something a little different for him, his business. If I had to crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. First things first, this is about truth-telling. Have no agenda. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what No Mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah! This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Breathtaking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly coming at you as I love to do every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check your local listings, check where you can find free your free podcast, and you'll see No Mercy right there with yours truly. There's a lot of stuff that we're going to get into today. We're going to get in to having a rough childhood, racism and prejudice. In some cases, violence or a tendency to be a bit volatile. Let's leave it at that. Might get into that, might get into professional athletes and some of the things that they do, some of the reasons why they do it, some of the trials and tribulations that they have to overcome that they never felt comfortable enough to talk to anybody about because they couldn't trust that it would be inhaled and absorbed appropriately. Going to talk about that with our next guest. And there's a reason we're going to talk about it because in this day and age, Ladies and gentlemen, this is a story that you need to hear. You need to hear of a typical childhood from somebody from a desolate and disenfranchised community. That might not have been the case with my next guest, but it certainly felt that way. Parents were interracial. As a result, he's biracial. As a result, you had people spewing all kinds of racial epithets in his direction. And how his fist was the best way to handle situations. 
and how that corresponded from him doing it in childhood to doing it into adulthood to doing it even as a professional athlete and beyond. We talk about all of those things. And it's necessary. Because when you hear the story about how it has ended, recognizing that it's really just a new beginning and how this life has been transformed into something that could ultimately lead to benefiting millions upon millions of people. Not just through a podcast, not just through a docuseries, but through elected office, potentially. It gets very, very interesting. On this podcast, No Mercy is the title I use. It could have easily been No Limits. Because the people that I've had on were allergic to limitations. They didn't see a period at the end of some sentence or the end of some paragraph. The chapter, whatever book their lives literally evolved around, there was always the next one. Because when you're about marching, when you're about marching forward and about moving forward and about achieving big things, You don't limit yourself. You find a way to march forward, move on and persevere. Sometimes it just takes simply growing up. Sometimes it just takes harsh life and death experiences. Sometimes it takes therapy. And then some. The list goes on and on. We're about to have a real conversation. There's somebody y'all all need to listen to. You already see him all the time on his podcast, All the Smoke. 2021, rated by iHeartRadio, the best best sports podcast in the nation. I've known him for years. Proud to know him. Does a great job as an analyst on ESPN from time to time. NBA Today, mainly. Does a great job with his podcast, All the Smoke, with Steven Jackson. Has a documentary out. Revolution. And it is definitely apropos that that is the title of that documentary. Because this brother, trust me, revolution is applicable. His behavior at times was indicative of, indicative of that. A rebel with a cause, as they say. His name is Matt Barnes. He's up next. Don't touch that dial. You will not want to miss what this brother's talking about. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? My guest on this episode brings new meaning to the words never back down. Played 14 seasons in the NBA, went toe-to-toe with some of the best athletes in the world, and in doing so, earned a reputation as one of the toughest players around, culminating in a championship, by the way, in 2017 with the Golden State Warriors. Since that time, he has become an NBA analyst, co-created and host the acclaimed video podcast, All the Smoke, and is the subject of the soon-to-be-released docuseries, Revolution. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, my brother, the one and only Matt Barnes. What's going on, Big Time? How are you, man? How's everything? Stephen A., thank you for having me. Congratulations on the podcast game, man. I mean, you, you're you up here, and you came to the podcast game now, and I, and I love it, man. I've been following the show, and and like you said, happy to, that you're going to move to video 
soon. Yeah. Obviously, that's yeah. the next step in this. But uh, man, I'm well, man. I, I'm blessed, busy, but uh, definitely blessed. Man, first of all, you and I will go back years. I got a lot of love for you, a lot of respect for you. Appreciate you educating me on weed and all the <laughs> things I needed to know about that. Thank you so much because you were schooling me on that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to talk about this docuseries, Revolution. It's to be released on December 13th. In it, you see a much softer side of Matt Barnes. Talk about what inspired you to make it, to, to, to do this docuseries and what you want people to get out of it. Well, I think Revolution is just kind of my evolution as a man, as a father, as a person uh, to miss, uh, you know, to dispel any myths of who people think I am. I think so often Stephen A., at least when I started in the NBA, the people would get to see us, you know, two hours, a few times a night, and I might cuss a ref out, slap somebody, get a few T's, and that's who Matt Barnes is, the person. Um, that was just the competitive nature of who I was, a football player out there playing basketball. And I think, you know, obviously a reputation is earned, whether good or bad. And I just kind of had a reputation of a person that I necessarily wasn't as a real man. So, um, you know, through social media, I've kind of been able to show who I am, uh, you know, through my podcast and my ability after basketball to kind of create a, out of media space to kind of really show who I am. But I think revolution takes a deeper dive into uh, my childhood and, you know, what I, what I, where I was raised, what I was raised about. Uh, the ups and downs, the struggles um, that made me the man I am today. So uh, Revolution is a unique look at, I say, stuff that happens to athletes that um, necessarily doesn't make the sports centers or the, 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 the daily night recap because it may not have fit my narrative at the time. So it's, it's me being a father. It's me being an advocate. It's me being a, um, you know, out in the streets protesting. It's me doing all kinds of different things and, and kind of showing a different side of who Matt Barnes is. As somebody that's known you for years, you've always been one of the most honest, one of the most real people that I've ever that I've ever covered. You were not shy about letting somebody know how you feel. You were smart about it, but you weren't shy about it. There's a difference. And you let people know where you stand. And that's always been you. Doing this podcast, All the Smoke, people have seen a lot from Matt Barnes. You being on television and talking about the things that have transpired in your life, both personally and professionally, you've never been shy about that, in my estimation. That's why I asked the question about revolution, why now? Because yeah. some would say, because of how popular you guys are, you and my brother Stephen Jackson, and all the smoke and how successful you guys have been and the interviews that you've done and the way you've let people in, people sort of got the feeling they know you. You didn't feel like they knew enough? Um, well, I think they, obviously they know what we show, um, but at the same time, I want them to understand how that person that they see now on ESPN or see on my podcast or see on the King's you know, telecast how he became who he was, you know, the the trials and tribulations, the uh, abusive, uh, drug-filled, violent childhood I lived, um, you know, being had a green light in my head my senior year of high school because I had to take care of a kid that was messing with my sister and the KKK was after me and I had to move to a whole new city. So I kind of just wanted to show the where kind of the advocacy came from, where me wanting to speak out for people who have been treated unjust, for me wanting to be a voice for people who have never had the platform or the footing to have a voice. You know, obviously, you know, everything you said, I've never really been shy about sharing my opinion because I feel like I've been through so much that when I speak 
I speak for others as well. So I just kind of wanted to show everyone else where that person who I am today, where that person originated from. Talk to me about your relationship with your dad, because you had your father was an African-American. Your mother was a white woman. Uh, God bless her soul. She passed away at the age of 27, if I remember correctly. I was, yeah, um, I was 27. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. And you were going through a lot in your life because, and you said your father went through a lot because obviously he was a black man dating a white woman. Speak to us about that and what you peel, what you want people to peel from what that relationship was like. Um, you know, my situation was different, you know, growing up, born in 1980, uh, biracial wasn't a very popular thing, although it's very common today. You know, my dad being African-American, my mom being Italian, um, it just it was oil and water to some people. And, um, you know, my dad had to fight tooth and nail for that situation to be what it was. But at the same time, you know, not understanding his upbringing and, and his childhood and the way he was you know, abused and beat and and the horrific things that were done to him by his mom. You know, I learned after the fact, you know, I say I lost my mom when I was 27. She had just turned 50. Um, I say, um, you know, I gained a dad when I lost my mom, which is kind of weird because my dad was always there, but he was out, whether it's working or in the streets, always trying to provide. So we never really connected. You know, when people say, you know, like he wasn't an absent father because he was there my entire life, but there was just real no, con there was no connection. Um, one, because he was, you know, he was an abusive, you know, abusive person. You know, he abused my mom and, you know, I got my fair share of, 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 of licks in, in my upbringing. So there was just really no connection. The two things we connected on was, I just thought he was really cool because he could fight. You know what I mean? He would always, you know, back in the 80s, it was fighting. It was no guns. It was no other stuff. Like if you had a problem, you fought. So we would go to the flea market or be at a football game or wherever we were at. And, 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 and you know, some racial stuff would come up and my dad was constantly fighting. So I kind of looked up to that and then he played football. And, you know, that was a, another thing that we kind of related on. But as far as just the intimate, I love you, I hug, you know, hugs, that kind of stuff. My dad was more, and I again, I learned after my mom died and he actually opened up, he was raised on tough love. So he gave me tough love. So I feel like, although there was no real connection with my father, my first, I hate to say almost 27 years, once my mom passed, um, he really opened up. I saw him for the first time cry, you know, one of the very few hugs that I'd ever received up to that point uh, when my mom died. And I just kind of felt like my mom worked her magic on her way out um, to have my dad kind of really open up now that she was gone and, and him to kind of really step into that role as, you know, the father figure. Um, so, you know, it's been, I just, it was just a 15 year anniversary of my mom's death last Sunday. Um, and my dad's relationship and I, it's never been better. Uh, we talk weekly. He's a great grandfather to all eight of his grandchildren. And I kind of feel like him getting that second chance through his grandchildren. Um, he's really, you know, he's someone we can, you know, throw him the kids, you know what I mean? And thinking about the guy that raised me, I'm just like, hell no, I wouldn't leave my kids with, you know, with someone like him at, at, at you know, when I was younger. But now, again, I think just understanding, you know, trying to right his wrongs and 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 evolve as a man himself. Um, we're great now. You know, we spend holidays together. We, we we conversate. You know, I love you as a regular thing. And, and when I was a child, never heard that from him. So, again, I think as I evolve as a man and we all evolve as people, um, I'm really proud of my dad for taking that step of just kind of trying to right his wrongs, making his apologies. And, and to me, it's never too late to be a father. Did you feel 
as you reflected on, because obviously you got into a lot of tussles in your career. I think you told, I think you told folks you've been fined over six hundred thousand dollars in your career. You know, fines and all of this other stuff. I definitely saw your share of arguing with referees. You know, <laughs> you definitely never hesitated to get into it with players. That's what you did, um, and, and you wasn't shy about it at all. But when you think about your evolution, how did you get to a point where you looked at you? even in your post-playing career, and said, there's so much more work for me to do yeah. internally. How did that come about? Was it because of your father? Was it because of your children? I mean, I imagine it's all of the above, but I'm asking if you had to choose one more than the other, yeah. what was it? I think, obviously, once I stopped playing, everything slowed down. And, you know, I kind of attribute it to, you know, athletes starting to speak on mental health. You know, coming up as a black man, the last thing to do is you're going to admit any kind of weakness. Uh, it just it wasn't accepted. It, it didn't fly. Um, so I just think, you know, athletes starting to come out with, you know, hey, I, I need help here. And and me being someone who was always on the front line, ready to go. I just thought that was so courageous of these guys to, you know, you're making a bunch of money and, and you could probably be ridiculed or made fun of. But they didn't care because they felt like they needed that help. And, you know, I just kind of took a deep dive look at myself when I turned 40, I'll be 43 in March. Okay. When I turned 40, I just stared at my, myself in the mirror one day and, you know, like, let's, I mean, you're doing great things, you know, your post career is going well, but as a person, I think there's a lot of things I can still improve on as a man. And that's when I started seeking counseling. Matt, uh, that's less than three years ago. So all of this time that's been going on less than three years ago, you reached this point. Three years ago, because like I said, every, the life was in the fast lane so much. You know, I was always on the go, whether it be my career and then I had kids. And once I finally retired from the NBA, there was so much stuff I wanted to do with the family that, again, once everything kind of slowed down, like I'm I'm going into year six of my retirement, life kind of slowed down, I feel like, at 40. Um, and I really kind of started, you know, how the NBA starts to slow down, maybe after year five or six, where the game is a little bit slower and you really kind of get a grasp of how you feel. I kind of felt like I got a grasp on my life at like 40, although I wasn't, you know, I, I would have my occasional flare-ups. I wasn't a wild person, you know, per se, but just kind of, you know, wanting to evolve as a man and wanting to be better and understanding what my childhood was about and 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 some of the habits I had as a man, as a husband, as a uh, boyfriend, as a father, some things I just wanted to fix. And I wasn't afraid again, because other athletes started doing it and talking about it and it was becoming more of a conversation. I was like, I'm going to give this a try. And it, it was been one of the best uh, decisions I make. And I'm, I'm in two different kinds of counseling and um, it's been great. What are the two different kinds of counseling? Um, one is couples counseling. And then one is just individual one-on-one -on -one being able to, cause you know, Stephen, I mean, we go, even yourself, we go through so much. It's kind of hard to just tell anyone about our lives. Because if some of the stuff we tell gets out there, it could be damaging not only to us, our family, our possible, our job. So just being able to have someone to lean into. And I credit my girl big time because I just, and I say this with all due respect, I just didn't feel like, you know, a typical older white male counselor could relate to me. And my girl did her homework and found a biracial counselor who was Mexican and black. And I uh, had several years in this space and has been divorced. And and it, for some reason, he and I just hit it off like we've known each other forever. And him 
starting off as an entertainment lawyer and then transitioning into a, a counselor. Um, you know, he'd kind of been into the space that I'm in now and, and had, had had other clients similar walks of life. I mean, I just think we hit it off. And, you know, the tools he's been able to equip me with to handle situations across the board now are just something I never had before. You know, I wasn't taught to, although my dad was there, I wasn't taught how to treat a woman. I wasn't taught how to raise a family. I wasn't taught, you know, all this stuff was learning on the fly. I was taught to fight, you know, very early on. You know, I, when I moved from the Bay Area to Sacramento, I faced racism for the first time. And I was, although I'm half Italian, that was the first time I was ever around white kids. And they used to break my heart when they would call me nigger and not let me play. And no one let me play. And I would I would want to go home and cry to my mom. And my dad was like, nah, forget that. If they call you nigger, fight them. So at nine years old, third grade is when I started fighting for my respect and my my opportunity to belong. And I took that with me literally my entire life. And, you know, that's why during my career, when people would say he's always into something, if you really think back, none of my altercations had to do with like someone challenging me one-on-one. It was always me coming to the defense of my teammates because I looked at my family. So, you know, I was taught younger, your brother, sister fight. I don't care if they win or lose, you're fighting too, or I'm going to get your ass. So most of the time you did get into stuff. It was, you know, you was, you had, you had somebody's back. It was, you was always in the tussle because of somebody else. It was never rarely. I mean, and you don't really, I didn't really call the Kobe stuff a tussle because that was kind of a one-on-one type thing. But outside of that, you look at all my, fines suspensions it was coming to the defense of a teammate because to me my team was my family so again i say all that to say was i was taught one way you know what i mean and as you obviously as you get older you have to change your ways and you know now you have to be able to use your mind to navigate situations at you know at my age now and with with so much still to lose and that's why i felt like this was the best route one of the things that I've noticed as well is that, you know, you talk about yourself and a lot of the changes that have been taking place and you're to be applauded for that. But there's something bigger going on because you're an activist at heart and you look to do things that you believe will better the community. You talked about a lot of issues pertinent to athletes and we see the platform that you you and Stephen Jackson so exceptionally well uh, give athletes every single day. Um, and you speak on a lot of different issues, you're unafraid to do so. What's that about? Is that something that came about as of late or is that something you always wanted to do? And once you had the platform to do it, you tackled it. I think that started my senior year of high school. And I I briefly touched on it where I was a senior about three months away from going to UCLA. And I went to a predominantly white school. My parents, the one thing about my parents was they always put me in white schools and I never understood, never got it, but I get it now. But I was in a predominantly 97, 98% white high school and never had any issues. Literally up until three months, I was about to graduate. My sister was two years behind me and there was a kid that kept bothering her, kept harassing her and her girlfriends, calling her a nigger girl and brown girl, black girl, pushing her, harassing her. And she didn't tell me at first because she knows where I'm at. So she would, you know, she was trying to go to, you know, administration and letting them know and they never did anything. And then one day she caught me as I was leaving school because I had a, you know, my, my fourth period after fourth period, I was done. And this kid had spit in her hair and called her a nigger in front of all her girlfriends and her and her three little friends came and found me and told me what happened. And this kid just happened to walk by. So, you know, I did what a big brother was supposed to do. You know, I put paws on him and and beat him good and um, was taken to the principal's office. And, and, and what really broke my heart was, again, 
All-American football player, All-American basketball player, full ride scholarship to UCLA, three months away from that happening. Administration thought that, nah, you know, and we told them what happened. My sister still had this spit in her hair. And, yeah. you know, this this kid's dad's a prominent lawyer in this in, in Sacramento, and he wasn't raised this way. And, you know, you can't be going around just beating up people because you're bigger. And I'm just like, what? Do you hear what we're telling you? So I say all that to say is I got suspended for a week. And while I was suspended, um, the KKK came and vandalized my high school, uh, hung a mannequin in the big oak tree with my football jersey on and die nigger. Die nigger was die. Barnes was across the whole school. They burned down a bathroom. Um, and then later I found out that they had a green light in my head. So we literally had them. Move. We had 24 hour security for like a month at our house. Uh, the NAACP helped take care of that. So. I knew then I was always proud to be biracial, Italian, black. I learned how to cook Italian food. My dad was a butcher part, you know, so I learned how to do all both sides. But I realized at that point I looked at as a black man. And although this is 1998, there's no real platform or voice to have, you know, have a footing on. I just started speaking out on inequalities, calling people on their shit. And, you know, lo and behold, as we continue to evolve as society and social media came out, I really think the first time... it kind of came to fruition was, you know, the Donald Sterling season with the the Clippers and, you know, what he said and he got kicked out and, you know, people asked me, you know, what did you think? And I'm just like, you know, it's definitely an unfortunate situation. It's wrong, but I felt real racism. Like people have tried to kill me because the color of my skin. And, you know, although what Donald Sterling did was wrong, I feel like he's not the only one. He's just the only one dumb enough to get caught. So I really felt like, from my 18 year old self to finally now, I think I was 34 at that time when the actual platform arrived. I just always knew that I wanted to be able to speak for the people who didn't have a platform, speak for people who face racism, speak for the injustices that we see daily uh, against black and brown people. And again, that's when that kind of that seed was planted uh, my senior year of high school. Is that one of the reasons why in the, doc- the documentary Revolution? that you went and met with gang members to talk with them about what changes needed to be made to be made and and what help was needed, what was required. What was the impetus behind that? Well, I just think, you know, so often, you know, we're racial tension. I feel like is, although we've come a long way, it's, it's still really high, you know, so whether you're, you're fighting against racism or we're fighting each other, I just feel like, you know, too many people are dying one way or another. So I just felt like, you know, with my ability of coming from the streets and, ta- you know, reaching the heights I've reached and, and meeting with presidents that I feel like, you know, very few people are respected on the street corner and still have the same pass in the White House. And I felt like I'm someone who has been able to make that transition, almost be a bridge for both communities. Um, so I just felt like, you know, it, it was my obligation to try to meet with people. I work with this group called Advanced Peace, a beautiful group um, out of Northern California. And what they do is they work firsthand with the, you know, majority of the crime in, in, in cities are committed by a handful of people that have their hands all throughout the city. So this group works with the people who do the shootings or who are most likely to be shot. So they're really the people who are on the front line. And, and I started working with these groups and going out and meeting these gang leaders and, and really asking them, because I mean, our, our push to gangs these days is, you know, put the guns down, but then what, you know, there's not a deal. You see it's dramatized on social media where people want to do gangster stuff and, and, and right. tote guns, but some of these people are really, it, it, it's a way of living, you know what I mean? So 
when we're telling them to put these guns down, I'm talking to them about, you know, what can we replace the guns with? What would you guys like to see in your communities? What would you like to see? What what can we help with to kind of help bridge the gap? Because again, that gun is a means of life. It's how they feed themselves. It's how they feed their family at times. So I wanted to see where we can take it to help them permanently put down the guns. Because again, if it's a temporary fix, the gun is all they know. The gun will be the first thing they pick up once, you know, oh, that was bullshit. Let me let me go back to what I know and get this money. So I just felt again with my platform, my ability to bridge gaps. I just thought, you know, obviously my help and we're going to need a lot more help than just me. But we have made a difference and have made a change. And, you know, it's something I continue to you know want to continue to keep pushing with. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Former mayor of Sacramento Former NBA star Kevin Johnson People forget how big time that brother was He was something special Kevin Johnson was a monster You understand? And and then obviously became a mayor of Sacramento That seemed to be inspirational to you You're listening, you talk right now Matt Barnes, is, is politics in your future, my brother? I mean, are you running for office anytime soon? Could be, you know, I, I told myself at like third, like because again, KJ motivated me. And it, to me, it wasn't so much Stephen A, that the policy side, when I first got into it, I just saw what he was doing to his community, Oak Park. And, you know, my my my, my, my auntie would, had her throat slit and killed, left in the gutter in Oak Park. So I know how ruthless it is out there. So I saw the change he was making in the community. And I'm just like, damn, like he played basketball and he's from here and he's the mayor of Sacramento now. So that was my uh, initial interest. And then and as that interest kind of started to grow, I started learning the policy side. So I started getting up in the state capitol and started helping passing bills and pushing bills and walking the halls and meeting senators and shaking hands and kind of just so learning. So you were doing all of this in Sacramento? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that, man. So we have some, we have some of it on, some of that is on the documentary, right. but again, it was just kind of behind the scenes. And I told myself like, hey, you know, if everything is is still lined up and, and good, I want to run for mayor uh, at, at the age of 50. So, you know, again, I'll be 43 in, in, in March and in, in about three months. So, I mean, that's still a plan. You know, I, I've told Kevin Johnson that and he, you know, I got the whole, I got your whole cabinet waiting for you. And, uh, you know, I've talked really in touch with the NAACP out there, still work with Mayor Steinberg, who's the current mayor of Sacramento. So, Again, it's just, you know, to me, it's something that I, I guarantee no one thought I would be able to do or even be interested in doing. But to me, it's oh, it's always been about, you know, I came from nothing, food stamps, drugs, house to house, family members living, living with family members, you know, to be able to make that a full circle move, play, a, you know, a 14 year NBA career, which no one thought I could do. And, you know, now, like, all I want to do is be able to help and 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 give hope to people who grew up. In, in, in similar circumstances and show them like, hey, man, if, if Matt, because I kind of feel like I was a blue collar journeyman role player in the NBA. So I kind of feel like anything I do post basketball is more attainable to the normal person than something like a Steph Curry or a LeBron James. You know, these guys are transitional superstars, but, you know, like shit, if Matt Barnes can do what I, I, I feel like I can do it. And and that's kind of the 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 what I want to give off to people. Like if I feel like if I can make it, you know, anybody can do it. Anybody can make it. And I want to encourage people to, 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 you know, put their fears aside and go after it. Now, just for clarification purposes, Democrat, Republican, or independent, which one, Matt? Man, I feel like, you know, Stephen, I feel like there's, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. So and I, I feel like both sides, both sides, 
or on BS at times. You know, I, I'm for the betterment of the people, you know, make it fair for people. You know, I've been lucky enough to grind and make money. So I live differently than when I grew up. But at the end of the day, like the way I grew up is how a majority of the country lives. So I'm always thinking when I'm doing things, it's not for my people. And I'm not even saying I have a ton of money, but I'm just saying it's not for, you know, my circle of people. It's for the people that, you know, from the people that grew up the way I grew up on food stamps and one pair of shoes and you had to wear your shoes until not till I had a hole, but till the, till your socks started getting holes in them because uh, when you, you can't walk around with holy socks. So I, I mean, that's the way I grew up the same pair of pants, you know, a couple of t-shirts, you know, that that's the way I grew up. So that's the people that I kind of keep in mind when I'm going out and, and giving back and, and trying to help these communities. One would easily ask, considering the climate that exists in today's generation, you know this because you're from the streets. You understand this. You are a professional athlete, former professional athlete. You've got incredible relationships throughout the world of professional sports. You got a hit podcast where that everybody wants to come on. I've been on there. Multitude of stars, Steph Curry, Kobe, everybody's been on there. Who the hell does it? I mean, you do, you you associated with sports in any way. You got to go on all the smoke. By That's the way, just the way by, it is. By the way, we dropped with the Will Smith episode today. Just wanted to plug that. Okay. All right, well, that's good. I'll be listening to that. So with that being said, my question to you would be this. When we consider the climate that we're witnessing and the platform that you have, why not keep the platform, like all the smoke and various other things that you're doing, rather than go into politics? Because of how dicey anybody says today's climate is. How do you answer that question? Um, Like I said, I would like to, I mean, you know, I think probably all the smoke at some point will have a, you know, uh, an expiration date, you know, so I, to me, I want to be able to bring as much awareness to as many situations as I can while I'm on that particular platform. And then, you know, obviously, you know, we both share the ESPN platform and various other platforms I'm on. And, and what I like now is, you know, there, there was always a line before, but I know, I think now there's, there, there's no line from politics, sports, life, right and wrong like all that is kind of mixed in one so you can get all that on espn you can get all that on all the smoke now um so i want to continue to raise awareness and 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 utilize this platform to its fullest but you know i'm obviously at 50 i don't see myself doing all the smoke anymore so i think obviously that's going to be kind of a transition and I know I'm not going to be able to change the world, um, you know, but like Pac said, I want to, you know, spark the mind that possibly can. And, you know, again, following in Kevin Johnson's footsteps, a former, you know, basketball, NBA basketball player who, you know, went back and, and, and fixed up his hometown. And, you know, if he can do it, you know, I feel like if I go back and fix up my hometown more, you know, that's two of us. And then hopefully that'll inspire someone else to come behind us and, 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 and continue to do that. But not only in Sacramento, I think it's, you know, across the country, you know, I feel like athletes are much more than just shut up and dribble or shut up and throw or shut up and score a touchdown. I, I feel like there's no, there's no ceiling on what we're capable of doing now. And everyone continues to show their intelligence and their, their, their business savvy. So to me, I really feel like athletes are really, one of those people that across the board, when we speak, we're listened to. And if definitely if you have something to say, you're going to be listened to. So, I mean, I think if you, you know, continue to put your mind in the right place and continue to evolve and want to help people, um, you know, politics is the direction I may choose to go in. You know, other people may choose to go in different directions. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's it's our obligation to open these doors for people now that we've made it. You know, first of all, you know, you ain't gonna have to spend too much money on advertising because you're gonna have people like myself and everybody else campaigning for you to make sure you get enough votes. So you're gonna win. So you ain't gotta worry about that. You ain't gotta worry about that at all. 
Um, you know, I want to go to all the smoke from this perspective. Stephen Jackson, your relationship with Stephen Jackson. He and I have had our disagreements from time to time, but you know I love the brother. He knows I love him. And he's a great dude. I want you to speak to the relationship that you guys have with one another um, and, and what all the smoke has done for that relationship. Um, Jack and I knew each other um, as competitors. And in 2007, the Golden State Warriors made a trade for Jack and Al Harrington. And then as a team, we went on that We Believe run and we beat the Dallas Mavericks that 2007. Number one seed, 66 wins. I remember. So the, Y'all took them out. Yeah, that very next season uh, was the year my mom. My mom was diagnosed with can- four cancers, all in stage four, November 1st. 2007 and died November 27th. So it was literally the beginning of the NBA season. Um, so that, you know, that was that first, that we believe season was kind of my mark in the NBA. Like, Hey, I'm here. Like I bounced around, hadn't got an opportunity, but it was finally my chance to show the world like, okay, he, he can play some basketball. So the, to, to start the next season with the death of my mom, I was out of it. And Jack was the one person, although we really only knew each other, six to eight months again we played against each other a handful of years but just but jack was the one guy every single day that would check on me come by the house bring me food we come by and smoke even though we weren't supposed to be smoking back then but jack was <laughs> just the one guy that would just always come and check on me so we went from obviously teammates and, and and close teammates to brothers right there so that was a bond that he and i hold on daddy's doing an interview okay that was a bond that he and i you want to say hi real quick that was hi <laughs> that was a bond he and I created um, there, and it just it, it lasted for you know it, it's going to last for a lifetime. So we fast forward to post career. We're both kind of bouncing back and forth between ESPN oh. and Fox, uh, and getting positive feedback. So I hit him one day. I was just like, you know, we need to do something together. I don't know what it is, but let's do it. Like, you know, I've been hearing about podcasts. I don't really know what they are, but. I'm kind of the due diligence guy. Like I'm going to go do my homework, do my research. And Jack's just like, if, if you believe in it, I believe in you. So I'm with you. So I pitched him this idea once I kind of did my homework and all the smoke was born. And, you know, to be able to, you know, make NBA history and, and make money in basketball with one of your brothers, but then be able to translate that into post-career success um, and creating a platform such as all the smoke has just been amazing and you know i think we play off each other because we're both the really i don't give a shit type people but like you said earlier i'm strategic about my i don't give a shit jack if jack don't give a shit you're gonna know jack doesn't <laughs> give a shit so i think we're you know we're a perfect combination of strategically not giving a shit and not giving a shit at all um and i think our unapologetic approach and our realness that we played with has not only been able to transfer to, you know, to make all the smoke a success, but also give us, you know, our own, la- you know, a, a lane that we can, you know, strive in, in, in media overall, you know, because, you know, we weren't me in particular. I was like, again, I was a role player, you know what I mean? And, and to, for me to be able to trans, you know, transition into media the way I have and, and have a footprint in several different media outlets, the way I do, that's just grind. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, all the smoke has been a, a huge blessing for both of us. We've both learned so much about ourselves, about our guests and friends. And it's also opened up a lot of other doors because, again, I think he and I both were there was a misconception of who we were as people, you know, because you would see us fly off the hook. But if you sit down and talk to us, you're like, oh, OK, these dudes are real. This is this isn't all so, the time. 
kind of understanding that. So I just think it, it it was a perfect storm of obviously, you know, my mom kind of being, you know, my mom's death kind of triggering just that brotherhood that, that that we built in that 07 year and it's lasted, you know, and it's going to continue to last. And, and, and obviously I want to send a shout out to Jack because he just lost his younger brother about two weeks ago. I was uh, getting ready to ask you about that because I saw something on social media with KG and Paul Pierce and I'm talking, I'm like, what happened to Jack? But I was going to call you instead of him because I ain't just want to yeah. creep up on him and surprise him. Like, yo, what's up? What happened? I didn't know. So Jack has lost, man, Jack has lost two siblings, or excuse me, three siblings overall, but two siblings in the last 11 months. He lost his sister last year, unexpected. And then his younger brother died on the anniversary of his older brother's death. So it was just like death, death, death. So it was, you know, it's, you know, obviously sending love out there, you know, to him and, and, and sending healing and prayers to his family. But yeah, you know, I've, kind of been doing, you know, trying to pay it back now because again, you know, a loss is a loss of a brother, loss of a sister, loss of anyone is tough. So, you know, he's trying to navigate that right now and, 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 you know, trying to find his bearings. So, you know, I'm, I'm checking in on him as, as much as I can and, and, and making sure he's good as well. So definitely wanted to make sure that. I do the same last couple of questions before I let you go. You've got a, You've had, you guys got an incredible roster of guests. Obviously we just finished alluding to that with all the smoke. Who's the one that made the biggest impression? The one that impacted you guys the most? Who would you say that was? I can't say one. I can okay. say it's been a handful. Um, I mean, to, to your credit, you know, you crossing that line and coming over to us. You know, I mean, I think you helped, you know, legitimize us as a podcast. And I think I told you that before and, and the appreciation for you to take your time doing that. Um, you know, obviously being able to do Kobe's, uh, you know, a lot of people saying that was Kobe's last interview. So being able to, you know, show the world the Kobe that we knew uh, was important to us. Um, Kevin Hart was a big interview for us. Again, you know, kind of crossing that A-list mainstream media. Um, you know, Shannon Sharp was a big one, really learned a lot from. And then just our recent one, you know, uh, you know, in, in in the midst of everything that Will Smith has going on in his life, he was gracious enough to sit down with us and spend about a good hour and a half. And and it was really my first time getting a chance to meet Will. And when I tell you, he walked in the room like we had known each other for years. And I know he's an actor, but you can right. tell when someone is 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 genuine and yeah, real knows real. Yeah. So you know, when we sat down and did his interview, um, he invited us to his studios out in Calabasas and. You know, after the interview was over, we were talking to his team and two ladies pulled me aside like, Matt, we've never seen Will talk to anybody like that. Like, you're you're amazing. You know, how did you get him to open up like that? And, and like I said, I just, you know, real neck rise real. But I just think the authentic energy allows people to feel comfortable enough to know we're not out here to get to go viral for the wrong reasons. You know, I, my, whole, my whole goal was always to humanize these people and, and and show, you know, you know why these people are celebrities or superstars, but let me show you who they are on the other side. And, you know, Will laughed, he cried, he joked, he talked shit. Uh, he spoke to us in, in, in such a transparent nature. You would think that we've, again, known each other for a long time. So I'm really excited about this interview and I hope that people, you know, can take away, um, you know, what we got at it, which is, you know, Everybody makes a mistake, you know, but this guy is, you know, I grew up on Will Smith. You know what I mean? I think a yeah. lot of us grew up in, in love, Will, and, and won't let one 
you know, one bad night define him as a man. Um, you know, he invited us to his emancip- emancipation uh, emancipation premiere last night. So my, my girl and I got a chance to go check that out. So, um, yeah, so I, I'd probably say, you know, you're definitely in that circle of people who kind of helped obviously learn more about you and soak up game, but kind of, you know, le- legitimize what we're trying to do in this space. I actually want to come back on with you guys once my memoir comes out in January. Because you'll learn stuff about me that I didn't, you know, I've never talked about with anybody. So I will appreciate coming back on the show because I really had a good time talking to y'all. You know, my last question is going to be, obviously, with Revolution, you told a lot about yourself. You told a lot about your parents. You told a lot about your upbringing, your family, your experiences, your trials and tribulations and how it got you to this point. And now we've gotten into your activism, your political aspirations, how you're going to be the mayor. Sacramento one day. I I think you're going to pull it off. Damn right. California needs you. I mean, think about governor, governor, to be quite honest with you. Think about governor, okay? Think about governor of the state of California, all right? And I ain't going to get into the weed stuff because you were right about that. Listen, I just told y'all I'm only against it costing cats their money. Let it mess your money up. Don't let it mess your money up. Don't let it mess their money up. That's all I said. That's all I said. But I, I, I'll end this question with a, uh, end this interview with a question about LeBron. Recently made news. And I think for all the right reasons. And I think for reasons that epitomize why people like you, Steven Jackson, and so many others, or people like me coming from a pure journalistic perspective, because I wasn't good enough to play on y'all level, damn it. The bottom line is when you look at a guy like LeBron speaking about, speaking to the media, bringing attention to the fact that Jerry Jones in that picture when he was 14 years old, where six kids were being blocked from desegregating a high school, um, and LeBron brought up to the media, y'all didn't ask me one single question about mm. that. Mm. But when Kyrie got into his ordeal with the link, the tweet, the link to his Twitter page, and you know, or, or, or putting a link on his Twitter page about a movie that was deemed anti-Semitic, whatever anybody wants to call it, we don't have to get into that. Y'all asked me questions all, all over the place along with Colin Kaepernick, along with social justice issues. But when it came to Jerry Jones, y'all didn't ask me about that. And I thought, as a member of the media, it was brilliant, A. And B, it put the media on front street. Because let me tell you, you know me, man. If I was there, I would have asked him. Yo, man, what do you think about Jerry Jones? <laughs> what do you think? I, I want to hear your comments because we ask him about everything else. Right. The fact that he pointed out how I'm disappointed y'all didn't ask me about that and that y'all didn't give the same energy as Kyrie pointed out. Where's this energy going to be when it's something else that's affecting our community? I thought just was the latest in a long list of things that epitomized the true greatness of LeBron James, along with any of his ilk who think like him. Mm. To that, you say what? I'll give you the last word on that. I love it. I think LeBron is the one transparent, most transparent. I don't want to say woke because I think that world's played out, but just so do I. caring superstars we've seen. Um, obviously, he can't lend his voice to every single cause, but when he feels passionate about something uh, or if he doesn't know something that he needs to know, he's someone that will obviously go study up on it and speak to it. Uh, I think he made a great point. Um, I feel like, you know, again, I said a long time, although we've come a long way, race still plays a major part in day-to-day life, whether it's media, whether it's business, whatever the situation may be. 
And, you know, people were, hey, you know, he's 14. And I even heard your take. And, and, and you made sense on, on the take. But at the same time, it's just like, Emmett Till was 14. You know what I mean? When he was, you know what I mean? So you, you got to kind of keep things in perspective. And then you look at Jerry Jones' track record from, uh, you know, the Cowboys better not take a knee and, 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 and showing no support for Cap. And then I'll even take it further. I mean, what happened to the Brett Favre stuff? And I just saw the other day he wants to be taken off the loss. Like, bro, you stole. Ain't that something? You know what I mean? And, and, and Stealing welfare money. That both of those guys, prominent figures, great fixtures, have done great things in the NFL and for the game of the NFL. But their mistakes or mishaps, if they get touched on, it's very briefly. But then to, to Braun's point, you know, I think Kyrie will admit, you know, he he could have maybe played it a little different. But at the end of the day, that situation was drug out as is, is far as it could be drug. And and I'm a I'm I'm, a, I'm friends of the 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 Cy family, uh, the owner of the Nets. But I Joe Cy, Joe Cy, yeah, owner for the Brooklyn yeah, Nets. Yeah, yes. the, 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 the Joe Cy and Clara. Um, I thought their demands were were ridiculous. You know what I mean? To make him. So did I. Do, 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 do. It's just like. Damn. Okay, he messed up, and maybe he could apologize or whatever, whatever. But this, this is being dragged out. But then on the flip side, you'll see a a Robert Sarver situation where he pretty much has to sell his team, and that's here and gone. You see a Brett Favre situation where he's stealing welfare money to build gyms for his daughter. That's come and goes. You see this Jerry Jones situation. He still to this day hasn't apologized. But again, let a Kyrie make a mistake. And it's a issue. So, again, hats off to Braun. I mean, he was one of the first people that spoke out against Sterling when the Sterling stuff broke. And I feel like Braun opened the door to athletes from that day forward to not just speak about our lives or basketball. Like we could speak about other issues because the king was doing it. And when the, and when the king does it, you know, it opens up the doors for everyone else. So. I was a huge fan of Braun on and off the court and the way he moves, and I got a lot of respect for Braun. Well, let it be said, he's opened doors for a lot of people because of the positions that he's taken, his willingness to be educated and speak up and speak out about pertinent issues. But you've been somebody that's done that yourself. I love and condolences to your brother, your partner, Stephen Jackson, for his loss. None but love for that brother. But I appreciate you, my man. Keep doing big things, and I'll see you soon. Congratulations right. on everything. Appreciate it, Stephen. Have a good one, right, bro. Brother. is the moment of a lifetime uh-huh. the clock's ticking like my lifeline until i flatline i push it to the red line who gonna stop me high who gonna stop me high thanks again to the one and only matt Barnes, co-host all the smoke podcast uh executive producer of the new documentary revolution um what do you say what do you say after an interview like that What didn't he say? What didn't he add? What didn't he touch on? Do you walk away from an interview like that looking at him as if he's some villain, as if he's some hothead? Because I know I don't. Highly intelligent brother, subjected to a lot of trials and tribulations most kids can't find their way out of. Totally explained because of his upbringing. And how his father demanded certain things, how he handled things with his fist. Beat up that dude that spit in his sister's hair. Wouldn't we have done the same thing? 
somebody spitting your sister's hair and call her the N-word and all of this other stuff, what would you have done if you were a big brother to a sister that had happened? That had happened to. Gandhi might have whipped somebody's behind. But just all the things that he alluded to. And I've known Matt Barnes for years. And there's a lot that I never heard him talk about. And it's going to be real interesting to see. I think that this is must see. I'm definitely looking forward to watching it again. It's a lot to tell. But when he closed out the way that he did by talking about LeBron James and what he did as it pertained to Jerry Jones and how he put the media on blast because he held them accountable. What did Matt Barnes say? He brought it home. We've come a long way as a society, but we've got a long way to go, particularly as it pertains to issues of race. Treating everybody the same, not differentiating, judging people on the content of their character, not the color of their skin or ethnicity. How many times are we going to learn? How many times are we going to be, is it going to be proven that that's the best way to make the world a better place? You know, see, my mind drifts when we talk about some things. I'm not an advocate of violence. I don't want anybody to get shot by police, for example, just as a hypothetical. But if you are an, are an unarmed black man and you get shot by police, doesn't the police need to explain how that happened but people who actually shoot at them or murder other people end up getting arrested? Something as basic as that has nothing to do with what Matt Barnes was talking about, but then again, everything to do with it. Has nothing to do with what LeBron James did in his post-game conference after the Lakers won the other night, but has everything to do with it. Because as vile and unfortunate and disgusting as some things may be in our society, we can rationalize it to some degree and work to alleviate it, working in unison with one another if the behavior is consistent. But when the behavior is inconsistent and there seems to be a discrepancy as it pertains to how one group of people are treated compared to others, it causes problems. Now, Stephen A., why would you bring that up? Because isn't that what Matt Barnes was talking about when he was a kid? Isn't that what he was talking about when he was in high school? Isn't that what he was talking about when he was in college? Isn't that what he was talking about when he ultimately became a pro and he had to carry all of that emotional baggage with him into adulthood? Losing his mother at 27? Ultimately seeking therapy 13 plus years later, less than three years ago? Finding out more and more and more about himself? And ultimately learning what society needs to do to learn more about, about itself so we can all get better. Doesn't it make sense? It really does when you think about it. That's why all the smoke is so important. It's why Matt Bond's aspirations for himself to be the next mayor or to be the mayor of Sacramento by the age of 50 is so important. Ladies and gentlemen, we got politicians running around here in their 80s. If Matt Barnes could be the mayor by age 50, what's stopping him from being the governor by age 55? What's stopping him from potentially running 
for the highest office in the land. Trump did it. Why not Matt Barnes? Why not Matt Barnes? I love it when stories like this are told. It's special. As he alluded to, it tickles the imagination, giving an indication of what things are out there to be accomplished. After listening to Matt Barnes, hell, I might not joke around anymore. I might think about running for office one day. I mean, I'm half lying. But I would love to sit up there and look at a microphone one day and say, seriously, my name is Stephen A. Smith, and I approve this message. That would be hilarious. Never know what's possible. Big dreams are obtainable for anybody who pursues them with a dream, a plan, and a commitment to execute it. Matt Barnes has proven he's one of those dudes. My props to my brother. Very, very proud of him. That's all for today. I'm about to get on out of here. Thank you for listening in. Listening as always. And remember, as I always tell you, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. Peace and love, everybody. Till next time. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts. Guess who's got a memoir coming out, ladies and gentlemen? Yours truly, Stephen A. Smith. It's entitled Straight Shooter, and it's available right now for pre-order. I have signed these books, just so you know. So you can visit straightshooterbook.com to order your autographed copy today. In the book, I talk about my life before ESPN, growing up in Hollis, Queens, New York, how sports proved to be my salvation. I talk about some of the mistakes I've made in my life and my impact on the world of sports. The book is called Straight Shooter, and it's written to help motivate you to overcome setbacks that maybe prevent you from reaching your dreams. So go right now and order your autographed copy of my memoir, straightshooterbook.com. Don't wait. It's entitled Straight Shooter. Check it out. Don't miss it. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. A-Rod and I host a show called The Deal, and it's all about the intersection of sports, business, and culture. Recently, we got to sit down with Stephen H. to talk about something a little different for him his business. If I had to crystallize where business came to the forefront of my mind was when I got fired in 2009. There's a difference between making money and learning business. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts.